Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The FT. Welcome to this edition of World Weekly with me, Gideon Rachman. Today, we're talking about Turkey. Turmoil elsewhere in the world, notably Ukraine, has distracted attention from a fairly extraordinary series of events in Turkey, where the increasingly embattled Prime Minister, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, accused of corruption and facing elections, has tried to ban the social media site Twitter. So what's going on? Joining me on the line from Istanbul is Dan Dombey, our correspondent there, and in the studio is Leila Bolton, our former bureau chief in Turkey. Dan, first, I gather there have been developments just today, we're talking on Wednesday, in this uh, effort to ban Twitter. That's correct, Gideon. Um, Today, an Ankara court has ruled against the ban, uh, which it said was illegal. Uh, This didn't really come as a big surprise, because, uh, as the Turkish Bar Association has argued, there is no law, even the new, tougher Turkish internet law, passed just a few weeks ago, that allows the government just to uh, ban Twitter. Initially, this was supposed to be the result of court action. Then it seemed to come out of a telecommunications authority. But in fact, what we learned at the weekend was Prime Minister Erdogan said that he took the decision to ban Twitter, primarily because he said uh, it had insulted him uh, unbearably. That, I think, is a kind of indication of where we are in Turkey. As this country is split in an epic political fight between Mr. Erdogan and his former allies, ahead of local elections that he presents as a referendum on his rule, no one actually pretends right now that the rule of law has much sway. Except, I suppose, if the court has actually said that uh, Prime Minister Erdogan has acted illegally and that he can't ban Twitter, isn't that a demonstration of the rule of law? But will he just accept it? Speaking right now on the early afternoon of Wednesday, we don't know. We don't know. It's entirely unclear. Mr. Erdogan's deputy prime minister has just said that the government will accept it, but we're not sure of the timing. Bear in mind the backdrop to this. Twitter, along with YouTube, has been used to circulate these corruption allegations, been used to circulate what appear to be voice recordings of a prime minister involved in, in some instances, illegal activity. He's denied the authenticity of some, but not all of those recordings. Um... In response to those, um, the government has uh, lashed out at social media um, and it has essentially stalled the accompanying uh, corruption investigation by moving thousands of policemen and hundreds of judges and prosecutors. But right now, we're really heading towards a climax. Uh, We have these elections on Sunday and the absolute essential uh, decision is going to be in the hand of the voters. And therefore, it's going to be very interesting to see if the government releases the ban on Twitter before those Sunday elections or after the Sunday elections. Leila, I mean, you were a correspondent in in Turkey when Erdogan was riding high. Um, This has been quite a fall, hasn't it? But do you think this was always in him or has something gone wrong in the last couple of years? Well, I think this was always in him. He always had an authoritarian sort of streak, but he... uh, 
came to power with the promise of more democratic, cleaner uh, and more prosperous uh, making government for all. And I think the problem is that as he's become more and more um, authoritarian uh, with his growing popularity, um, basically he's shed former allies and basically decided to do his own thing pretty much of the time. We're looking at increasingly personalised rule then, but as somebody who's watching Turkey from the outside, have you noticed a change in Turkey's image over the last year and does that have dangerous economic implications for the country? Oh, absolutely. We have seen um, Turkey fall uh, victim to nervousness about emerging markets in general and Turkey's reliance on short-term hot money in particular. Um, so Turkey uh, really depends very much on the image it projects to the rest of the world. Um, and banning Twitter, um, overriding the rule of law, independent regulatory institutions and so on is um, the last thing Turkey needs. So Dan, I mean... Obviously, this is the latest episode in a, in a period of instability in Turkey. We had the demonstrations there over the summer. Uh, we've got elections coming up, as you say, local elections this Sunday, further elections later in the year. So, Dan, we're entering a period of uh, instability in Turkey with elections. How do you think it's going to play out over, over the course of the year? Do you think Mr Erdogan's support will hold up? I think... Uh, this is not so much about Erdogan as it is about Turkey in a certain way. Uh, there are a couple of things to bear in mind. On Sunday, I was at a Erdogan rally in Istanbul. The numbers are contested, but there were hundreds of thousands I don't, of people there. I don't think um, uh, I've ever been at a bigger political event. Uh, and although everything was laid on, I took a free boat uh, from the Asian side to the, uh, uh, to the special rallying grounds just by the old city. Uh, there was absolutely no doubting the enthusiasm of the people who poured into that desolate place uh, and spent a very uncomfortable Sunday afternoon, if you ask me. Erdogan has increased his vote from the mid-30s to uh, something almost approaching 50% in 2011. Now, we, no one expects him to get that kind of vote again in these elections on Sunday. The economy has slowed down considerably. But there's an enormously strong core AKP vote. There isn't necessarily that large a swing vote. I haven't seen a single poll that puts him below 40%. Uh, so there is a possibility of a sequence of bad results that maybe leads to a dynamic that loosens his grip on power. But we can't forget that there's a large part of the Turkish population that never really thought that it had any kind of proper services, any proper respect from central government, until Erdogan came in listening to the pious conservative uh, people in Anatolia and the hinterlands of Istanbul and the other big cities. I think he still retains a large part of that strength. What he has done, as Leila said, is discarded many of the allies that he's made on the way, and it has become an increasingly personalized rule. And I think the other thing is that the economic story and the political story of Turkey in the last decade has been exposed as being rather weaker than people thought. Never forget that what we're seeing now in Turkey are very serious corruption allegations that have not been systematically addressed on the one part, and on the other hand, what essentially seems to be a blackmailing ring. You may say it's the Gulenists, you may say it's others, 
but people with secret tapes, illegally recorded tapes, compromising tapes, maybe fabricated tapes, that are being aired at a time of political expedience rather than in any uh, court of law, caught between a government that hasn't answered very serious corruption allegations with the seriousness they deserve, and a movement, whether it's a Gulenist or otherwards, that seem to be listening to everyone. This is not necessarily a good economic story. It's not necessarily a good political story. One final anecdote. I saw a major Turkish businessman just a few weeks ago, and he, like so many other people, felt caught by this. He told me that the tax inspectors had been in his company's books for 18 months or so. Uh, he thought for political reasons. And before he even talked to me, he made sure that his phone was out of the room because he thought he was being listened to. No one in the business arena is seen as neutral. You belong to one camp or another, the secularists, the Gulenists, the government. And no one in society really is seen as neutral. That's not a healthy society. That's not a healthy economy, particularly when compared to uh, the great hopes that people had for Turkey 10 or so years ago. Yeah, and Leila returning to those great hopes. I mean, do you think that in some ways, obviously, Erdogan's been an empowering frigate in the way that Dan mentions representing people who'd felt shut out of the society but he also seems to be a very polarizing figure. Yes, he does. And of course, this whole process is exacerbated by the lack of a credible opposition party. It was only when Erdogan's AKP party came along with a credible uh, message, uh, an ability to uh, reach uh, and activate grassroots, that he was able to evict the old parties that had presided over um, a series of ineffectual coalitions for decades. So this is another part of the problem for Turkey. What about the role of the military? Because they've been the subject of these series of trials with which a lot of the top military brass has been imprisoned uh, for alleged conspiracies. Uh, is there a possibility of, a, of, of the military playing a role in Turkish politics again? Well, the top brass have been sort of neutered, but one can't exclude the possibility of discontent from lower down in the ranks. Um, but I think uh, for the foreseeable future, I don't really see uh, the military uh, taking center stage anytime soon. So are there any countervailing forces to, to Erdogan that you see? Well, this is the problem. The military were effectively the strongest check in a system of unofficial checks and balances. Um, but really, there is no equivalent force nowadays, apart from uh, the Turkish uh, populace's ability to act when really uh, pushed by dire economic circumstances. It was the devaluation in 2001, after all, which impoverished many Turks, which aided Erdogan's rise to power. I would add one point to that, which is the only countervailing force, really, these days, is the market. Um, Erdogan was dead set against interest rate rises, perhaps for Islamic reasons. Uh, and when we saw Turkey basically increasingly being profiled as the weakest of the so-called fragile five, eventually, after they spent billions of uh, euros in an ill-fated attempt to short the currency, they did so. Uh, Turkey needs enormous amounts of money each year. It needs about $220 billion each year to finance a current account deficit and to roll over short-term debt. That's money that's increasingly hard to get hold of. If investors are spooked, um, then I think that is something that makes uh, Erdogan sit up and listen in a way that few other things do. 
But recently, we haven't seen investors so spooked. The interest rate rise has gone up. And to be honest, uh, as I spoke to one person who deals with very large investors yesterday, he said, most investors don't really give a expletive deleted about the rule of law. If that remains the situation, um, that potential source of pressure on Erdogan also will be absent. So finally, Dan, just give us a sense of what lies ahead for the, for the coming year, uh, in, both in terms of elections and uh, the kind of things we should be looking out for, whether uh, as pundits or as investors who don't give a hoot about the rule of law. Uh, what should we be looking out for in the coming year in Turkey? I think this is a tremendously important year for Turkey. Uh, this is a year in which the country is going to hold its first ever direct election to the presidency. It may be a year in which we see a snap parliamentary poll if Mr. Erdogan, who's had his eye on that presidential post, decides to run for a fourth parliamentary term instead. It is a year which is characterized by a to the death fight between Erdogan and his former allies in the movement of Fethullah Gulen. The trouble is, is it's hard to see a good outcome right now. Um, either Mr. Erdogan triumphs, in which case it will be hard to see how uh, his own personal power will be checked, or he fails, in which case it's hard to see how the Gulenist influence in the Turkish state will be rolled back, if you think that that's a concern. But as this year goes on, the one factor, as Leila said, that is there is that the Turkish people do have a say. And so this year, I think, will reveal if the Turkish people is rather like the Russian people, which is people who really feel that the previous experience of unstable governments was a bit much, and that majoritarian authoritarianism is perhaps preferable to liberal democracy, or whether actually the people, the middle-class people who rallied in Gezi and other protests actually have a bit of an echo throughout the country as a whole uh, and say that uh, Mr. Erdogan has perhaps uh, got too much power for too long. It's unclear how the current trend in Turkey toward uh, greater personalization of power will be checked. But however, we are going to see several chances for the people of Turkey to have their say. And that probably is the most important thing of all. Okay, Dan Dombey in Istanbul, thank you very much as ever, and thanks also to Leila Bolton here in the studio in London. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.